it's always tough to podcast when you're convinced your two and a half year old child is getting into the knife drawer in the kitchen. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> just keep turning around, like waving around butcher knives. Or something. <laughs> no, it didn't happen, but it's like a little like okay, we gotta take. Just a sec. <laughs> yeah. One gotta, minute. One minute. Yeah. I gotta check this out. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not fun, George. Because they're just like chugging a bottle of bleach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not, not funny, but if you can't laugh, you would just cry. Am I right? That's true. If you can't, can't laugh, you better cry. Yeah. I think the Robert <laughs> McCall says that to a couple people. <laughs> I think that's like yeah. I feel like he says that maybe to the frat boys he meets or the business, the business, the business bros. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. I totally forgot that scene. And like, I love the Equalizer. It doesn't get to every one of them. Don't get to the plot till like the hour mark. It doesn't matter. It's no, I, uh, what a glorious. What I love. I, set of I love that. I love that setup. Like just like there's like a. Uh, and every Equalizer's like it, where it's just like, yeah, you got that hour, and it's just him getting to know the town. You're learning about the world. You're seeing how Robert McCall is like a friendly guy in the neighborhood. Unless, yeah, unless you're not so friendly, and then he like stabs you in the eye with a credit card. <laughs> Super <laughs> murders you. Yeah, yeah it's like, yeah. it's not just snapping necks, folks. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. Good night, Patrick. Um, <laughs> I'm Don Saunderson. And good night to you, too, sir. <laughs> I'm Patrick Gremion, a.k.a. Uh, Mid-Afternoon Beauregard. <laughs> Mid-Afternoon Beauregard in the house. Welcome <laughs> to the Academy, and welcome back to another episode with a covering the works of contemporary genre master Antoine <laughs> Fuqua. I don't maybe. Um <laughs> jury's, still deep... out. jury's still out. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a deep dive into the oeuvre of, of the Fuqua. Fuqua. <laughs> yeah. And this week it's a double feature. Mm. 2016's The Magnificent Seven. Following that up with, let's say, oh, let me bring it up here. 2018, I believe. Yes. 2018, The Equalizer 2. Magnificent Seven currently playing on something called AMC Plus. Nice, um, cool. I I watched it on something called Amazon Prime for three dollars and ninety nine cents. Same, um, same, yeah. Equalizer Two, as of today, as of this oh. very recording. Wow. Hulu. Took a look at really? it on Hulu. Yes, but also, you know, both these are pretty readily available. They're out there. These are relatively recent movies. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I th- I saw that the, you can get the Equalizer in a Blu-ray three pack of the entire oh, really? epic series, and boy, I'll tell you what, my wallet was itching for that to add that to my collection. I would I would love to have some special features on that bad boy. I want to hear the I want to hear the commentaries. I want to hear like every choice why they were made. Yeah, I know, and I want to hear why, like it, as usual. Like the third one, which we'll cover soon, they keep saying it's the end of the epic trilogy. It's like, why does it have to be a trilogy? Why don't you just make a dozen of these? Who gives a shit? Yeah, <laughs> this could be like our the thin man. Just have like fifty, because like you have like a a mold. You have like a thing. It's just you get Denzel Washington, you put him in a different country or a different city. You have 
You have, have him, him do like have him yeah. meet some friendly locals and some not so friendly locals. Yeah, and then to, like annihilate them, annihilate to, the unfriendlies and save the friendlies. He has to befriend an adult son. He has to find like a like either like a, a large son or or a normal yeah. sized son, and you know save that son from uh you know t- local toughs. That's an important factor. I think the Lord of the Rings series really screwed with everyone's minds that has to have some sort of epic conclusion, like tie it all together. Sometimes, yeah. like the Death Wish films, all it ever took was really Charles Bronson meeting a new wife or girlfriend, <laughs> them getting yeah. heinously assaulted, and then him getting back at him. Like, it was rather simple math. Yeah, rinse, lather, repeat. There we go. I know. It's in... Those do pretty well, and sometimes you, I guess that might be the lesson of both of today's movies, is that sometimes you don't need to say anything, nah, to give it's... an enjoyable. Ex- I think movies that say something are very important as well, <laughs> but the, sometimes you just need to hang out and have have a have a nice time and text your friends afterwards. That was fucking awesome, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah sometimes you just want to like wonder, hey, what if like the the Archangel of Death was also like a cool dad with yeah. fun- wonderful hats. Like <laughs> I know, and yeah, like dad exploitation needs to still be a thing. Like yes, <laughs> hey, dads Although, need movies too. We have a couple super dad movies today. Like yeah, millennial dad movies. I guess we are <laughs> deep in millennial dad cinema right now. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot, you know. I wasn't a dad yet when either of these movies came. Dad now though. And I had a mm. better time. So first up is Magnificent Seven. Had you seen this one before? No, I have not. I saw it when it came out. Um, you know, and I remember not loving it. You know, I kind of was like, ah, do we really do we really need that? And there is still a part of me after watching it yesterday, two days ago or whatever, that is, did we really need that? comes to mind <laughs> of course magnificent seven this is the third version of this story first being 19 the seminal i think that's that would be the right word for this mm-hmm. seminal 1954 japanese epic samurai film directed by akura kurosawa that you have been that some people would call oh that's homework because it's on every list of the greatest movies ever made uh, they would they would be wrong. It's one of the most entertaining movies ever made, as well, despite its yeah. length. Oh, I saw um, it like when I was like twelve and loved it. Like it's incredible. It's, and so, yeah. it, it's incredible every single time you watch it. Yeah, you're like you can't believe like that this movie came out 70, 70 years ago. You're like, whoa, this movie is like it's still basically like the the blueprint for incredible. Yeah, it's basically the blueprint for every like group of guys team up to like stop a bad yeah. thing movie yeah yeah it, it is ground zero of get the gang together like oh yeah dude, we need to find some fun guys maybe one of the original dudes rock movies mm. too a um, proto dudes rock film proto dudes rock and the essential the basic storyline here and this is why i think this can be remade all the time is because this story let's give credit where credit is due to um Akira Kurosawa, Shinobu Hashimoto, and Hideo Oguni mm. uh, for their screenplay. Because this is the basic story. A town has been 
taken over and being essentially held hostage by bandits. They don't know where to turn, so they turn essentially to seven mercenary, a ragtag band of disparate and different personality mercenaries to come to the town to be paid to do it Mm -hmm. and eliminate these bandits from the town. But in the process, perhaps discovering some level of their own humanity, bravery, Mm. and community. It's a great story. Oh, yeah. And generally speaking, some make it, some don't. There's a huge, massive final battle sequence when the bandits finally descend upon the town because our guys won't will not back down and they've incorporated the townsfolk to become warriors with them and it yeah it all ends in very exciting fashion seven samurais is pro- is still kind of even despite being the oldest of the group the rain-soaked final battle yeah if you if you're interested in action cinema even 70 years later it's one of the greatest action sequences ever put together oh for sure i think yeah utterly thrilling and emotional everything you want from a great action sequence visceral beyond belief it's probably akira kurosawa would you say it's his best film i think that's and i don't mean this just in like a critical i think that's the easy choice yeah i think that it's my number one We'll put it that way. I'll take the I'll take the easy way out any day. <laughs> yeah. It is my number one. I think he's got so many amazing films, and it's very easy to say High and Low or Throne of Blood or Ikuru or yeah. Ron. Like yeah. as your I mean, why not? I and I don't think any, if you if anyone said that to you, you'd be like, Fuck yeah, they're all wrong. Great. Yeah, they're yeah. all great. You know, yeah. it's, like, it's like it's pizza, baby. It's always good. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's you know you're. It's it's impossible. I mean, this is why it's like sometimes you can question some of these lists and kind of these like canonical things. Right. The work of Crusoe, I think, is so undeniable. And you yeah, know, you're like, oh, like, that was good. Like, I can't question that. That was really good. <laughs> I don't think he has like a single stinker. Like, even like dreams is like. Oh, those are incredible. cool movies. Yeah, oh, yeah, cool. yeah. Even. Even the curios are fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, you know, top 10 guy. Top 10 yeah, guy. 100%. He's a top 10 guy. <laughs> but so, obviously, it's a smash. It mm-hmm. kind of it crosses over. It's one of those, um, you know, you hear the stories of like Scorsese and Spielberg and those guys when they were growing up. And first started like that wave of international films that hit the United States that kind of blew everybody's mind. Seven Samurai, Seven Seal breathless 400 blows you know yeah you know you know the main the main suspects in the, yeah in that um but of course kurosawa's films are interesting compared to kind of that international wave because kurosawa made like super entertaining kind of adventure movies on top of mm-hmm. being very interesting stylistically and thematically compared you know it's like very hard for somebody like a hollywood studio person was like yeah i mean i know the bergman film crossed over but how can we remake that with fucking william holden or (laughs) how can we get a uh how can we translate this into like a a charles bronson and charles and james coburn film yeah exactly yeah it's just not (laughs) happening yeah but kurosawa on the other hand like i took like i get we gave the basic summary of this story Mm -hmm. 
That's very translatable. And in particular, despite Kurosawa's is a medieval samurai film. So basically, like Kurosawa's films are ripe for a remake in a different way than most of his, the international communities, other films are, despite having such an impact. Cut to six years later. Oh, and the other thing I was going to mention, too, is that this is very translatable to perhaps the dominant genre of Hollywood in mm-hmm. the 50s and 60s, which is, of course, the Western. Um Oh yeah, they made a lot of westerns. I'm a huge, huge western fan, and I watch a lot. I enjoy, like, I find westerns to kind of become like my comfort food. Yeah, kind of movie. I I enjoy like the outdoor setting. I enjoy the dustiness, the outfits, the kind of good versus evil, like very traditional like archetype storytelling. But then also, I like it when it kind of twists it on your head too, and oh. kind of get a surprise out of them. Oh yeah, out of these yeah. There's movies. a lot. There's a lot of like simple archetypes that create like the classic western but they're so fun easy to subvert and twist and like change around like it's always entertaining seeing someone it feels like it's like a great blank canvas to see like uh, you want to see what certain directors takes are on this genre yeah and so by this time in the westerns run we've kind of gotten past we're on the very tail end of kind of the john wayne era very traditional John Wayne, Gary Cooper era Western, the very traditional kind of like old fashioned kind. And we're already seeing like new sign, new kind of vibes on the horizon. I mentioned a couple years ago on our discovery episode, the films, the combined films of Randolph Scott and Bud Bedecker films like ride lonesome and that kind of thing. We're only a couple years away Mm -hmm. from the arrival of Sam Peckinpah in in hollywood and of course you know we're yeah we're less than a decade away at this point from the wild bunch which kind of changes it's both the end of the beginning of something with the western genre Mm -hmm. because basically the rest of the 70s are spent making revisionist westerns as they're called which make everything look much muddier much darker much more of a bummer yeah and almost all of them are vietnam pero parable like you know i wonder why i wonder why wonder (laughs) yeah and yeah and we'll kind of get to where the new magnificent seven stands in this because basically after the 70s things that was toward the tail end of the western genre being a a major concern yeah because i feel like yeah the 70s is really when it starts to die out in terms of popularity exactly yeah and then you can start kind of naming on your hand i mean obviously there as we go into the 80s and the 90s there's movie like lawrence kasdan's silverado which is Mm -hmm. a real throwback movie and he was kind of the king of that because he just made it just after body heat which was his noir throwback um (laughs) but there's like that Clint Eastwood was still taking out until Clint Eastwood kind of ends it for himself with Unforgiven in the early 90s. Dances with Wolves wins Best Picture as a Western, but that's kind of a different style of it. Kevin Costner's really kind of a torchbearer. And then um, Tombstone yep. and, the, and Kevin Costner's Wider, another Armageddon mm-hmm. Deep Impact situation right there. But Ooh. I think Tombstone got it because Tombstone was fun. We'll get to that. Oh. We'll kind of bring that up why that matters in a little bit here too. And we've seen kind of, you know, movies like um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, 
to an extent there will be blood and no country for old men yeah different differing ways but like almost translating the western into kind of more of um you know where we stand with the western now arguably the biggest not even arguably yellowstone the tv series oh yeah Um, and uh, and then kevin costner has this like two-part epic that'll be coming out in 2024 a major major thing because it's a work of a crazy person and i am for it um absolutely for it out of pocket i love it um skin in the game i love it uh but the but what we're seeing with things like Yellowstone or No Country for Old Men is kind of more modernized. It's like the Western, but cars are there and kind of, you know, you're living in kind of like, what does it take to be like a frontiers dude mm-hmm. in 2024? We're not seeing a lot of like clearly like a Hollywood set built of like a Western town and guys yeah. riding in and you know the very like traditional kind of setup kind of thing which is something I kind of actually appreciate for the from one of the things I appreciate from the Foucault one is that like it is playing in that realm of like we let's build a town yeah there, there's like a pleasant yeah. uh, artificiality and I say that in like a yeah. positive like it's like this movie feels like a movie ass movie yeah and it's but- like and there's something kind of like pleasant about that for me where it's like oh yeah they made sets everything feels a little tactile like it's not just like yeah i think that there's like a weird like you almost come full circle because you're like the demands of realism from today's audience well that wouldn't be like that that wasn't how that worked well sometimes it's like fun yeah to just like kind of like have a fantasy like a fantasy element and like I guess you get that from the Marvels and that kind of thing, but it's too too space like for me. I like horses. I like I like I like the I like like vistas and horses and stuff. It's also too CGI and goop goopy. It's like CGI goop. Like this movie uh, definitely there are moments of CGI. Don't get me wrong, but like it's mainly it feels like real places. It does. It does. Like there's and the CGI sticks out like a sore thumb. Sadly, we can talk yeah. about where that's, that's a, well that's a recurring theme in a lot of well and i think that's more just like a funding issue than anything else i know and the w- insane cgi tacked on ending to this to this new one the oh, last the last moments of this movie which are nuts anyway yeah. 1960 mm. the magnificent seven is released oh man who word dude yeah i mean i let bad day of black rock let's yes you know. so good <laughs> the, the great movie, escape i mean like come on I, I literally saw that movie i guess like maybe like two weeks ago but like i never never heard of it it's watched awesome. it it rules it's yeah. genuinely incredible like what a great spencer tracy performance also really fun fact paul thomas anderson uh, credits the laser disc commentary that john sturgis did as one of his film schools rather than actual film school Wow, man! I want to get this. It's cool. It's 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 really good. I've actually listened to it myself, and it's really cool because it's like the commentary tracks at like the era of commentary is all like Scorsese onward, where it's like they're very like cinema history and aware of kind of their place. John Sturgis was a dude who worked, mm-hmm. he just made shit. So it's very like tactile and very like. Yeah, the sun was over here. We had to put the camera over here because, like, to take care of that, you know, it's like it's very like and it's like, oh, that's because like when you get there on the day, you can like talk all about cinema history you want. But it's like you got to like make your day. You got to do your job. And so it's kind of it's cool in that regard. Yeah. 
but they made it a remake and in 1960 and they found they found a what they found in it was like let's make a really colorful the most rousing adventure possible and with the most badass cast of dudes you can put together Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, Robert Vaughn, Brad Dexter, James Coburn, and Horst Buckholz are the seven. Eli Wallach is the leader of the bandits and the bad guy. And you're like, if you like movies and you like actors, you're like, oh, I want to, like, this sounds like a great time. And it is. I watched it. Did not get a chance to do a Seven Samurai rewatch, but I did get a chance to watch 1960s Magnificent Seven. And it's awesome. It's a great freaking time the crew put together sequences all the guys and you read some of the background which is really interesting and i think one thing that this new one could have used mm-hmm. so yul brenner out of this group is the only really established star Ooh. everyone else is like an up-and-comer or had been a character actor or it's kind of like so well, and, and even like yul brenner just to like he was, even though he, I think he got, an, did he, was he, did he win the Oscar or was he simply nominated for The King and I? I, I don't remember, but yeah. I don't remember I mean, either. He's, but like, he's, but like, he's very he's, famous. Because he's famous, but he's also like kind of character actory too. Like he's famous <sighs> in a character. Like he's not even like a traditional like lead for the time. Well, he's, yeah. He's not like a traditional Hollywood hunk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but anyway, I, you're yeah. you're right. Like Yul Brenner, though, is like I think, I think Yul Brenner is trying to like solidify, yeah, like superstardom, and he's the leader of the crew in this. Oh, for but sure. by all accounts on the set, and it starts with Steve McQueen. Basically, and if you watch them, maybe you can see it. Steve McQueen was trying to steal every single moment. No. on screen and like show what he and he does that's the yeah. thing he's steve mcqueen he's like <laughs> yeah he's one of the best to do it yeah he's, yeah, he's like one of the very best to do it <laughs> so every time they're like on screen together he's like flipping a string or like playing with but he's doing business to yeah. cast attention on himself and but simultaneously that like charles bronson's trying to show off what he's got Robert Vaughn's trying to show off what he's got. James Coburn's all these guys are like trying to like, it's like kind of a dick measuring contest. But Uh, when you put a bunch of young dudes together, mm -hmm. like we've talked about that with like um, young ensemble casts, like white squall, for instance, comes to mind, but we've seen some other ones where it's like, who's going to be the guy. Like, remember the Titans weirdly and remember Titans. We didn't know Ryan Gosling was going to be the guy. Yeah. No, it was like totally all trying to do something, trying to be like mm-hmm. the coolest, most memorable guy. Like, did you see that guy? Like, I'll never forget seeing everybody want some. And yeah. Glenn Powell, like, immediately stuck out from the group. And you're like, oh, he's the guy. Yeah. He's going to be a leader. He's going to be a star yeah. someday. <laughs> and then the other thing that this movie has, like, it's one of the greatest scores ever written is this 1960s. It's like the most, like, the second the score comes, you're like, this is going to be an amazing time. I think yeah. it's going to be like the greatest <laughs> adventure I've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah, it, I'm it, so excited a... to be here. Like, is how <laughs> the Elmer Bernstein score makes you feel. You're like, wow. This is immediately part of the cinematic or orchestral canon. 
yeah i know you're like this is so good and it's like i don't even know if this movie's so good but this is so good like and great gunfight great guys i cry when charles bronson dies spoiler but this movie's 60 mm-hmm. 64 years old so you've had a shot at seeing yeah. this movie and mm-hmm. and charles bronson is not yul brenner and he's not steve mcqueen so what do you think his chances are <laughs> you know yeah it's not yeah if you're not the you're not the lead and you're not the hunk it's gonna be a tough road to hoe <laughs> yeah i know yeah like you're 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 probably gonna get sacrificed but heroically and it's like i love like charles bronson like makes friends with these kids in the town and he's like the most hard ass of the group and he finds his humanity by being a surrogate father to these kids and they're like we'll water your well they're like we'll put flowers on your grave every like like it's yeah. just and he like then at the end they're about to get shot and he pushes them out of the way and he takes a couple bullets and you're like oh it's so good yeah <laughs> and it's so simple like like we were kind of getting at like the archetypes mm-hmm. and so that kind of will bring us to the new one the archetypes are really important and you can't confuse trying to make a high-minded movie with the audience expectations of what is necessary for a fun movie. And this movie's trying to have its cake and eat it too. I think it's trying to be more high-minded and closer to Seven Samurai. But American audiences want a remake of the 1960 make a group of dudes kind of getting together and having like having an adventure movie. Mm-hmm. They don't want anything more serious than that. And I think this is something Antoine Fuqua kind of falls into yeah. on, a, on occasion. A little more high-minded than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So basically, ever since there was a Magnificent Seven and a Seven Samurai, there have been further talks. Oh, there are many sequels, by the way, to the 1960 Magnificent Seven. Like, what are the guns of Magnificent Seven? I think the Magnificent Seven right again. Like, there are... Yeah. I haven't seen any of them. I want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. curious. That's an interesting. I like the idea of continuing the, uh, you know, doing an Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13 with uh, the Magnificent Seven. Because it's like, it's not like, um, it's like one of the mm-hmm. rare films of that genre where it is easy to like imagine like, yeah, we can continue the story. We can have these guys interact with each other because the fun is the guys. All the uh, little interactions between all the different interesting yeah. characters. It's like putting a crew together, giving them a mission. Yeah, we'll see what happens. There was a TV series from '98 to 2000. I didn't even know about that. No way. <laughs> Robert Vaughn apparently did a recurring guest star role on it too. Um, cool. The Roger Corman movie Be- "Battle Beyond the Stars" was essentially Magnificent Seven in space. Yep, as is um, uh, the really bad Rebel Moon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, that as well. Um, the A Team was essentially the dirty dozen meets the magnificent seven <laughs> um there is like because this story is good yeah it's very straightforward and it always works well it's it's a great template to apply because it's like you know there's always gonna be like a bad guys there's always gonna be like a town that needs saving and you can take yeah. that like you can put it in you know uh feudal japan you can put it in the wild west you can put it in space you can put it in fucking medieval europe if you wanted to yeah. like there's so many interesting places you can apply that template and it's as long as you have i think the key though is like you have to have very interesting because you have seven like characters 
you're going to give each of them like a broad thing. You know, one's going to be knife mm-hmm. guy. One's going to be like, you know, fortune seeker or whatever. They have to have like, you have to have Real really personalities. Yeah. Real to, personalities. Cause yeah. that's like, cause that's where the characters are going to come in. It's not going to come in from the script necessarily. It's going to come in from the, uh, the texture of the actors portraying those characters. No, you're not, you're not like, what is it? Recreating the wheel or something here. You're just mm-hmm. kind of, you're like, it's a, this could be a story that comes out every 10 years to every gen- new generation with their favorite actors doing this, you know, variation on it. So one thing to remember, remember from the earliest episodes, Antoine Fuqua is a huge Kurosawa fan. Yeah. So he's a, obviously attracted to doing this. But my guess is that, and I have no, my guess is he doesn't really love the, 1960 version nearly as much as he loves seven samurai yeah i think they're trying and i think he's trying to do a like this is trying to do both bring them both together the weight of seven samurai with the american good times in the wild (laughs) west of 1960 so the so same story we should note here too this remake is written by Richard Wank and, more importantly to me, in the Don canon of things, Nick Pizzolato, who, of course, best known as the creator, mastermind, and psycho behind True Detective. Did you see him? He's, he was ragging on the most recent season. He's a little stinker. He's, he's, a... Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a difficult man, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think <he's> a... <laughs> Had some stinker energy yeah, emanating my, from them. I don't think he's a fun time. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. It, he's a fun, interesting cat. He's an interesting cat. And I can imagine even more so that Antoine Fuqua, he's like, let's not have a good time with this oh, version yeah. of the Magnificent. This, no and fun. It, oh. This is going to be dour. So, I'm trying to figure out if we should get into it with cast or story here first. Story we don't need to get into deep, but Not I want to really. talk about the yeah. opening, the cold open, how we oh, get introduced God. to the town here, because <laughs> this sets a tone, a pretty grim tone. Yeah. I will say, too, that, like, I don't know if it was just I was watching it on Amazon Prime as well. I felt like the coloring, there's something going right. on with the cinematography, like Let's the brightness. Or... Okay, that's a good story. I hate it. Yeah, okay, it. good. It's, okay, it's, I'm not it's, alone. It's too contrasty. Yeah, there we and go. And it's it's attempted a different look. I don't like it. It's, Doesn't... Uh, it's really unpleasant. And this gets to another thought I've had was like with modern cameras and modern cinema, cinema, cinematic stylings and modern audience expectations, mm-hmm. I actually don't think Westerns play well at all with any of those things. Right. I think like a traditional like like ride into a town kind of western you just have to shoot it a little more old-fashioned and no one can really get away with that at this point that kind of dusty sunlit bright wide mm -hmm. shots not too heavy cutting yeah leisure more leisurely editing because there's a lot of like fast cuts in this and it kind of like sometimes it'll not as much towards the end, but in the beginning, it felt like it would ruin the flow of like the action scene sometimes, or like yeah. it's clearly like, they're cutting from like okay, he's about to hit him, and then they just cut to the face getting punched or something like that, or a knife getting I also thrown. Think the kind of post John Woo to John Wick 
gun foo yeah. kind of stuff just doesn't work in westerns either and yeah like, and i think like one person who got it actually for a modern western i think james mangold really got it in his 310 to yuma remake because he bang. shot it a little more old-fashioned but mm-hmm. didn't make as much money <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing well, <laughs> it's just i like... just don't know if this is a genre for modern younger audiences oh god and yeah it... that is what it is it you know like we all dream of any director dreams of making a Western and I, Antoine Fuqua did clearly he wanted to make a Western. He thought it'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I think it's just really difficult. And the fact that he opens this movie, like a horror movie doesn't really like a, like a platinum dunes looking horror movie. Um, doesn't yeah. help his cause. <laughs> so we meet everybody in a church. So like our town is under fire by this asshole. Um, oh, yeah. We meet some of our our townsfolk, including um, an actress, Haley Bennett, who plays Emma Cullen, who's kind of the like strong-willed lady of the town, who kind of yeah. becomes the person who seeks out the Magnificent Seven to come mm-hmm. to town. Um, you know, she's evocative of uh, Haley Steinfeld's character in True Grit, somewhat. Yeah, and she's in um, Equalizer as well. Yeah, I was going to say and that too. I yeah. think yeah, I think Antoine Fuqua thought he had like um a real new like shining bright new star on his hands. I'm not yeah. sure, but I'm not sure if the script does her any favors either. Yeah, she was, she's uh, yeah. Uh, I will say too. Uh, uh, one thing I kind of wish that this movie had uh, that I think it would have benefited from would have benefited from a little Melissa Leo. Throw her in the mix. Yeah. Have her be one of the seven. That'd be crazy. Like, imagine. Know, I, if... I I think like an official girl seven, like a, girl a member, seven. a girl member of the seven. Yeah. Although I, I don't say this negatively or as criticism. Yeah. The next remake of this movie is going to be seven women. I mean, that would honestly, be my, that would be my, and I think it's fine. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd be good. Absolutely. I think... Just if you're following the oceans, the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Holly, Hollywood mindset. That would be the, Hollywood mindset. Yeah, Hollywood mindset. That would be the way to do it. Uh, yep. Anyway, she's married to Matthew Cullen, who's played by uh, recognizable Matt Bomer, <laughs> but he's also a red herring because he, he gets killed in the first ten minutes. Yeah, um, I was like, hey, it's one of my favorite actors, Matt Bomer. Has what's he do? Yeah. My, my, the, oh, my, yeah. the nice guy's Matt Bomer. <laughs> oh, now he's dead. Um, yeah, no, bye bye. Because we meet our our baddie. Mm. And boy, is he a baddie. And <laughs> good. Yeah. We don't want any baddie who's got any trauma from their childhood to explain oh. why they are a baddie. Sometimes people can just be baddies. Yeah, this guy's just evil. It's crazy. And he, yes, and it's great. It's what you yeah. want. And of course, the wonderfully named, out of many wonderful names in this movie, Bartholomew Bogue, played by the great Peter Sarsgaard, uh. who comes in. And Peter has made some choices from the second he walks on screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's Mr. Options. He's doing he is. He's kind of taken on, like, the tuberculosis-filled Val Kilmer yeah. performance, but turned him very bad and very evil. Uh, he's, job. like, he's so gaunt. His face he's is so, so sharp. He he comes into this church. They're having this meeting. He knows it's a meeting about him. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's about yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, it's me. I'm evil. I get it. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm screwing your town over, but it's for gold, and I want yeah. your gold. And gold is next to godliness because godliness is close oh, to capitalism. 
I know. And he does. And you're just like, you're kind of rolling your eyes at it, but you're kind of like saying that's terrific. Yeah, no, you're like, let's go. Because you want, again, you want the archetypes. So he comes in, he kills Matt Bomer. He threatens a child by putting their hand in a jar. We don't even know. It could be a scorpion in the jar. That's what I was thinking. Straight up was like, oh, something. Yeah, something (laughs) is going to hurt this child in the jar. The jar is bad. It was so, yeah, yeah, great tension in that scene. Great, great stuff. Yeah. They kill one of the women just to underline that he's a baddie. Yeah. And then he's like, leave the bodies so they can remember for a few days. And it was like, oh, he's great. Yeah. I hate him. Let's let's get rid of him. We got to kill him in two hours. You you love to hate him, but you hate and you hate to love him. So important. Mm -hmm. Baddie. Although I have to say at the end when it's him and Denzel. Yeah. Peter, you have no chance here. I have, there's dramatic tension is over. It's just oh, a question no. of how you're well, going to be dispatched by Denzel Washington. Also, how many guys work for Barthol? Does he have like a thousand people well, in his I fucking like that, posse? I like that part when they cut to him in Sacramento. It was assemble an army. Like I love it. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Assemble an army. It's great. It's and I think that, that was Antoine Fuqua's idea because it was like, you know what? You know what would make this like scarier? A shit ton of guys that the Magnificent yes. Seven have to kill. <laughs> like, like an actual, it's straight up like fucking the two towns. Ta- it's like swarms of orcs. It's insane. Yeah. So, um, Haley Bennett and her friend Teddy Q, who I wish they had given like the like the young guy played by Horst Bullkholz, who's a little too enthusiastic, but kind of mm-hmm. like matures over the course of the 1960s. I thought that that was who this guy was going to be. Mm-hmm. He's kind of just there. Yeah, from, it's a... From, it's, it's a it's, and he's played by Luke Grimes, who many know from Yellowstone. He's one yeah. of the leads on Yellowstone. Um, they go out, and what we get is, of course, what you expect. The next half hour is the assemblage of the guys to... Mm-hmm. Who, Go on this day. We got to hire a group of toughs to like come here and stop Peter Sarsgaard. Now, this is one of the most important things in movies of this ilk is the assembling the team sequence. Oh, yeah. We've talked about how we don't love Antoine Fuqua's assembling the team. He's he's up and down with it. Tears of the Sun Mm -hmm. did not love it. King Arthur. It was okay. Yeah. Some moments um, there. Some moments. But we were putting together a crew. Mm. And like, if you think about like the Soderbergh Ocean's Eleven. Oh. Perfect. Oh, yeah. this guy does this. This guy does this. He's bringing heat jokes. This guy's like a, can fit into small spaces. Like all the things. <laughs> like, yeah. These two people like hate Scott each Connor, other. Like nuts. And, you know, it's like. Yeah. This is important. <laughs> to putting together in a, in a rad crew movie. Is the t- is the assemblage of the team, getting to know what they bring to the table, getting to know their like, what they in their minor character development need to like learn or get over. Mm-hmm. This one gets part of the way there, I would argue, but not all the way there. Yeah. We meet Denzel Washington, who we can tell already he's the leader. Because he's, oh, yeah. he's Denzel Washington. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just has that aura, aura around him. He's just like, yeah, when you see him on, on screen, you you immediately clock him as, oh, this is the guy who's going to, like, solve the problem. Yes. And 
for the second you see him, I was like, why isn't Denzel Washington in 50 Westerns? I want to see him in so many Westerns. Like, yeah. he, he looks great in the outfit. He looks great on the horse. You buy him as the hero. Every yeah. single aspect of it. You're like, it's, he's kind of like a Gary Cooper with more charisma. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's not a stiff. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. Rest in peace, Gary. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're yeah, <laughs> you're great, Gary. Don't get me wrong. Like, we love you, Gary. But like, yeah, no, like, like Denzel can like give that parable. He can like lay on the parable, but still have a little fun with it. And I guess so. Denzel Washington plays Sam Chisholm, who's essentially the Yul Brenner of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, did not watch westerns growing up because his dad was a minister and barred them from going to like movies like that. Oh wow. Um, he had never seen the original. But he had seen the Seven Samurai before, um, and he purposely did not rewatch the original because he wanted freedom to do whatever he wanted. He didn't want to be emulated. What good? Good on yeah, I think that's like, right I, yeah, yeah. Honestly, like that's like a I like that. Like yeah, it's yeah. like it's so easy just to like fall into you know whatever the other movie did successfully. Yeah, and he was Fuqua's first choice. Of course, yeah, he was. Duh. Yeah, 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 like, nobody, who else is it gonna be, it's, yeah, I mean, it's George Clooney or Tom Cruise, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's one of the top five dudes, yeah, of a certain age maybe, yeah, well, Joaquin's playing the second guy, he's playing, for sure, if he's in, if he's in it, or Joaquin's playing Goodnight, man, you know, or something like that, if he was Faraday, imagine a Joaquin Faraday, Mm -hmm. Ooh. So we meet him. We meet his home, and we immediately get. It's the Denzel guy. He's great mm-hmm. with violence, but he's morally upstanding. Like yeah. you know, it's like you know, the he's classic. He, yeah, he's a Denzel <laughs> guy. Like, Every time he mur- a brutally murders someone, it's chill because it's justified. Yeah, it's always justified, <laughs> despite the fact he kills like a hundred people in this movie. Yeah, he like kills people in ways that would uh, make J- Jigsaw himself enviable. Oh, you have to hand it to Antoine Fuqua too in that opening scene and onward. His bloodthirsty nature as a director rides true in this one as well. This yes. one's super, yeah. This one's super gruesome and violent, nonstop, all the way through. So much death. Yeah, and I, that's why I like Antoine Fuqua. When I said he's a master genre director, because yeah, genre directors play in kind of that exploitive, a little queasy realm, and that's not a bad thing. It's actually yeah. a pretty good thing. There, we have, like, that's fun too. Not it's a, not, sp- not everything has to be upstanding. Although apparently Denzel Washington had made like specifically um had all those scenes where he portrayed Chisholm as a religious man and like praying and stuff like that. Because he's like he's like, this is more than just making movies, it's a platform, as according to Denzel. Oh, interesting. All right. Anyway. So <laughs> We meet him, he gets in a shootout, and he's rescued at a bar by a hunky, charismatic yeah. gambler type, kind of a rogue. I do yeah. like one thing I like is the card tricks like doing magic. I think that that's actually kind of fun. <laughs> that part rolled. A uh, shout out to the two gun kid. <laughs> Whoever and... those two guys are. Yeah, oh, they were great. Them. They were terrific. The two guys he decides. They're very God. they're very fun actors. Whoever and they, they came in as day players and they got the job done. Oh, for sure. This is Josh Faraday. I didn't even realize his name was Josh until the very end of the movie where they say his name. I thought it was just Faraday. Classic <laughs> classic Western name, Josh. Yeah. 
bit of a fox, bit of a trickster. Yeah. He's a gambler. He's a drinker. He loves the ladies, but he's deadly Oh, yeah. in a firefight. That accord, that quote attributed to, of course, the actor who plays Josh Faraday, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, of course, is um, at this point in 2016, he was coming off of Guardians of the Galaxy, and all of a sudden, <laughs> I didn't realize it's been almost 10 years since the decision was made that he had to be in every single movie that came out. That he would become <laughs> but, an A-list celebrity. Yeah, like they that just <laughs> they annoyed him. And you're like, you were in every movie. You're the lead. You were. And no matter what audiences say, we're going to keep pushing you on them. <laughs> yeah, we're going to fucking make you Mario and Garfield and Mr. And, Lego. and Jurassic Park man and Marvel man. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck else? He's in it like. so many like oh and and a troop he did a marine thing on amazon prime much yeah like our boy john krasinski oh yeah yeah he got a little drunk on kind of confusing himself with being heroic kind of but that's yeah <laughs> how if you do too many action movies you become right wing no matter what it's always like part of the process yeah uh, of course, yeah, and chris pratt who we all fell in love with as like this doughy dope Yes. On Parks and Recreation, who has since then decided, you remember the thing you liked me liked about me? I'm going to disappear that Totally completely. nullify it. Totally Totally nullify it. and completely nullify it. Um, Chris Pratt, though, um, <laughs> is a Western fan. He was super pumped yeah. to be doing this. He's playing... And he's essentially the Steve McQueen, Toshiro Mifune, Yeah. kind of the charismatic wild card Mm -hmm. of the group and kind of Perhaps like a lovable lout type. a lovable lout. Now, perhaps this is because he's in the shadow of Toshiro Mifune and Steve McQueen, two of the most charismatic Yeah. Great, coolest, two, maybe one and two, one A and one B of the co two coolest movie stars to ever like walk the planet. <laughs> Yeah, like if you look up Cole in a dictionary, those two guys are high five and like it's the they, there's a reason we still like idolize them. <laughs> like, like they are, um, like they pop at such a level. So <sighs> being placed in those shoes is tough. <sighs> He doesn't. Could be the script, too. Doesn't give him, like, cool enough moments to shine and be charismatic. Also, the stuff where he's, like, blatantly racist against the Mexican member of the group isn't isn't particularly helpful No, in making him, yeah. in making him like, the funnest guy in the world. I mean, it, it's the the thing that bums me out is like, there was a part of me that's like, you know what? It's an interesting choice to have that because it's like, yeah, maybe in like back then there would be like that animos animosity between those two folks, and if they had like treated that like a little with a little more heft or like tried to interrogate something, maybe there could have been something interesting there. But the way they do it, it's very just like, Well, I just it's don't like. think you you can't have it when your second most heroic character in the movie is behaving that way. Yeah, it just You doesn't. could have had like Vincent D'Onofrio behave that way or something like that, and you would have been able to get away with it a little Yeah, bit or more. Ethan Hawke, yeah. Yeah, but you can't do it with your cool hunk guy. Yeah, Like he's got you can't. to be cool. He's got to be really, really cool, really like the rogue 
kind of like, oh, this guy's rebellious, but I like him. Kind yeah, of, he's a, you know, he's a scoundrel, but he's not a jerk. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know who who fits that bill in modern yeah, Hollywood anyway, because they don't want them to be rebellious and oh, cool. Like, we should, nobody, we should do a uh... nobody's particularly cool. Like we yeah. talked about, like before we came on, it's like, oh, it's like Brad Pitt plays that role. Yes. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Val Kilmer plays that role, but that's in the nineties who plays him in 2020 or 2016. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like cool Channing at... Tatum. I don't know. But yeah, who is cool? I don't know. I guess like, but like in like the cool, it's, the people that are cool don't like you know like was it like I guess like Timothee Chalamet like is he like considered but not really I don't know but he's not masculine enough no and I don't no. mean that you know and that, that's yeah, fine he's a, whatever that, like that's that, fine but, but he's not like yeah but he's not like the uh, you need like a archetypal like rogue like you know like a well yeah, it's got to be a guy who's cool and fun and like like Chris Pratt's kind of described him a fox trickster gambler drinker lover yeah. of the ladies but also completely and utterly deadly. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, and they uh, when used, we, they used when to we, make that guy a little bit more. They don't seem to make that guy as much these days. So let's let's quickly go through everybody else. The third member of the crew, and I love this. So this is a hugely important member of the crew. Somebody, you know, it's a good crew assemblage movie. Mm-hmm. It's not a great movie. Armageddon assembles the crew really, really well. Yes, love like, that crew. And you know what the team is. You know what they're bringing to the table. All of it. Yeah. Because this character, I think, fulfills the Will Patton trademark role. Yeah. Best friend and closest to a peer to your elite. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, Ethan Hawke playing Goodnight Robichaux. Goodnight Robichaux, whatever Nick Pizzolatto did or did not do on this script, one thing that will make him heroic as a screenwriter for the rest of his days will be coming up with the character name Goodnight Robichaux, which is like truly he, one of the great insane. character names. Like it's awesome. They call him Goody. It's great. <laughs> so he is a former Confederate soldier who is a sharpshooter. That's mm-hmm. his kind of cool job on the team. But he's totally and utterly shell-shocked. Ooh. And he can't. And we're like, oh, is this going to be bad? for the Magnificent Seven when push comes to shove. I'll tell yeah. you what, folks, that's a good thing. <laughs> Storytelling, yeah. like we like that. Is Goodnight gonna find his heroism at the very last minute? And guess what? Spoiler, yeah, he does. Yeah, like, duh. Yeah. Of course, duh. Like, <laughs> duh. Like, duh. <laughs> Is Ethan Hawke show up doing kind of a New Orleans draw but also very like twitchy and kind of like, yeah, he's doing all of it. Oh yeah. He's Ethan Hawke. He's great. He's, he's the best. Apparently his big influence was Christopher Walken's performance in the deer hunter. That's what oh Ethan Hawke brings to the table. He's yes. taking it too seriously. He's an actor's actor. He's, and he's one of our best guys because of it. That's why you hire him. He had some spice. Apparently, Ethan Hawke went to the premiere of The Equalizer in 2014 and bumped into his old training day buds, Ooh. Antoine Fuqua and Denzel Washington, and heard about it. And he asked Antoine Fuqua, "It's like I want in. Ask Ooh. me as anybody. <laughs> I'll do it." And when they hug in this movie, you got to admit, you love to see it. Ethan yeah. Hawke and Denzel Washington together again. They make a great team. Also, and Ethan Hawke has a running buddy in this movie 
who's played by Byung Hun Lee, um, uh, Korean actor. Yeah, who plays Good, the bad and the weird. Also, the excellently named Billy Rocks. Insane. Awesome. <laughs> Not a real name. Get out guess of here. what he? So this is what you want to see in a movie like this. Yes, he's a knife wielding Korean assassin and Goodnight Robo Show's best friend. How yes. did these two meet? How Where did they, these two meet? Who gives a shit? It's great. I want to. I want. This is like I would love to see a Good Night Robo Show Billy Rocks one off. I want. I know traveling through New Orleans, like causing trouble in like a port yes. town or something like that. Hijinks yes. ensuing. Absolutely. He does not get as much. He does not have much of a thing other than he he he's he likes really, knives. He's really really deadly with the knife. And yeah. He. But I mean, like as we were talking when we were watching it, I was watching with Jen, and she goes. Yeah, that's who I want to be on the team. I want to be the knife guy. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, yeah. the knife guy. The knife guy always is cool. Like, you know. he's good with knives. It's great. James Coburn was the knife guy in the nineteen sixty version. And mm. yes, okay. So that's another thing. You either have like a personal thing you have to get over, or if they haven't given you that, you're really, really good with a specific weapon. Yeah, it's like either you know you're the you explosive have... guy. Yeah. You know, so, you know, <laughs> It's like either like you know you're dealing with the the loss of your family or you're good with dynamite. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> either way, it works. Who yeah, cares? Exactly. You don't yeah. need more than that. That's yeah. Also on the team, and fortunately not like um, I would like to see more of this character because I think this actor is actually quite charismatic. Manuel Garcia Ruffalo as Vasquez, yeah. a I, Mexican I like... outlaw, Mexican outlaw, a real like. Uh, Tough, untrustworthy kind of member yeah. of the team. He has like a little bit of to shoot. Like even though like you know clearly Pratt's the Mifune, he has a little bit of that Mifune in, in the sense that he's like an outlaw. He's not like he's a little like untrustworthy initially, but he proves his uh, he proves his uh, worth later I on. I like I like him. He didn't register with me at all in Six Underground, and I'm realizing now that's not his fault. It's the yeah. fault of Six Underground being a very um, yeah, just tough, tough me- movie, mediocre movie, <laughs> tough, tough movie yeah. to watch, tough movie. Yeah, another example of getting the gang together. And- <laughs> I know, terrible getting the gang together too. Oh, awful. But Ryan Reynolds is not Denzel Washington. Watch Safe That's House true. if you want to see that. Um, yeah. Also on the team, Martin Sensheimer as <laughs> Red Harvest, oh, an exiled God. Comanche warrior, the youngest of the crew. I wish he had more lines. Yeah, I loved. I love. He, the he does ins- cool stuff. I love bow and arrows in the mix. Like yeah. in the final battle, he seemed to have a thousand bow and arrows. Bow oh, arrows yeah. in that final battle sequence. By the way, when he finally yeah, ran out arrows, I was like, finally, how many did this guy have up here? It, w- like, it would have been great if there was just a like a uh, you know uh, Zucker Brothers style gag of him just having a crate of arrows wherever yeah, he went. Like, ac- like- ac- Acme branded crate of arrows. <laughs> Yeah, and I love, and I do also. I love the scene with him and uh, when he joins the team initially, mm-hmm. and Denzel and them they share like raw deer liver together. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah I wish there like, was more, more that, weird stuff. Yeah, like, that's more, exactly. Like very like specific, not weird specifics. Yes. That's what I want out of this thing. And I wish they given him more lines. I wish they given him more of a backstory. I want to know even more about why he was exiled. What does he have to prove by being brave in yeah. this final battle? 
easy stuff actually right there for storytelling purposes like i have to go back and to my tribe and prove i'm a man or something like that yeah very simple have him be loquacious like let him talk yeah it's uh man let him talk more anyway yeah final member of the crew and perhaps the mvp though Mm. (laughs) of course vincent (laughs) d'onofrio as jack horn (laughs) this jeremiah johnson kind of guy just a second here i'll think we'll get into it Vincent D'Onofrio is a devoutly religious mountain man and yeah. tracker who has killed a lot of indigenous people, it seems. Yeah, <laughs> who, I would say, yeah. Who, between, who while speaking biblical verses while wavering, waving an act, like an axe around, <laughs> yeah, he, he does it in this, he's decided to go with this really high-pitched voice, like this, like... Like he like sucked on a balloon before he like came on. Hi guys. <laughs> and yeah, Jed was like, "Oh my, what is he doing?" It, <laughs> is, it is. It is. I was like, like a, "What he's doing is heroic. Some heroic acting is what he's doing." Like, it is a a parcel of. It's just like a, just a panoply of quirks. It is just a cornucopia of just like yeah. He he dresses mm-hmm. like he looks like if like Paul Bunyan was hit by a shrink ray. Like that's what he looks like. He's like uh instead of being twelve feet tall or whatever, he's like six foot five. He's still huge, still imp- tall. He's, but like, yeah, he, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's so. nuts. It's nuts. Yeah, it looks insane. Yeah, and then also, I will say, I feel like his skill is kind of redundant because it's like if you have a you have a knife guy, why do you need an axe guy? Well, because he's a big guy. He's the big guy. That's true. You need the big guy. There you go. You need a, there yeah, we go. He's, you need a he's big kind boy. Of the, he's the big boy of the crew. You need a big boy. That's true. Every crew needs a big boy. And so now we've we've assembled the team. They hit the town. They make their presence known by taking out some of Peter Sarsgaard's guys. Oh, yeah. In very, very like, oh, man, these guys are slick. This is going to be no problem kind of mm-hmm. fashion. Peter Sarsgaard's guys are appropriately nasty. Oh, they're all slimy and gross and weird. And yeah, good baddies. Yeah, they got like the guy from I think like uh, the guy from Room, the uh, from uh, Room that like captured mm. Brie Larson's character is one of the, <laughs> yeah. one of the baddies, Sean Bridgers, which is yeah, he's a great perfect. character actor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they dispatch, and then Denzel's like, "We have a week because they these guys are gonna go. They're gonna tell Peter Sarsgaard what's going on. Peter Sarsgaard's gonna assemble an army, and he's gonna come back." We have a week mm-hmm. to prepare. So we get a training montage. The town sucks. They can't hit the broadside of a barn. <laughs> they can't no. shoot. Everybody's uh, a loser. Oh, yeah. how are they going to do it? Meanwhile, Chris Pratt's very much on to Goodnight Robichaux. That Goodnight might be a little shell-shocked. It might be a useless <laughs> member of the group. <laughs> Good night. Come on, buddy. <laughs> but one thing we don't get, we only get the nary two hangout mm-hmm. scenes of the guys joking around and having laughs right and what do we need in this movie a couple scenes of them joking around having a good time and laughing together yeah we also denzel does not do it with them he doesn't like hang out with them and we kind of no. want denzel to be like one of the guys yeah he's a little separated from them do you feel that too he felt like, it a little bit like he's he feels like he's a little above it all maybe i don't know yeah and that makes it not feel like an ensemble movie yeah, I feel like Denzel like... and six guys. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. I wish like 
it didn't feel I wish it felt a little more um I don't know. Like it felt like very robotic. Like this movie feels like a movie ass movie and there's mm-hmm. benefits to that, but also there is like this quality to it where it almost feels like it has like the air of like the type of movie you see within a movie where it's like mm-hmm. we're filming a movie within a movie. Like in it and there's like that level of artificiality and like yeah. basicness to it. It doesn't feel like Boy, I'm kind of the chase here, but it doesn't feel fun or necessary. Yeah, exactly. Despite the fact that it could be, and there are moments where you kind of get there, mm-hmm. like There's it like... just doesn't. And basically, what all this leads to is Peter Sarsgaard bringing a straight up army Crazy. to descend on this town. And Deeply insane. If you pause the movie, this is about the last forty-five to fifty minutes. Mm-hmm. We launch into this climactic battle sequence. That goes on and on and on and on. Oh, yeah. Some could argue, and I would, that this is maybe the most impressive technical feat of Fuqua's career is this final battle sequence. Yeah, I'd say it's up there with, like, the King Arthur uh, frozen ice scene. Yeah. And he knows it. I like that as, as a director, he's, like, he saw, he's like, oh, this is a challenge. I gotta Mm. make this as awesome and gigantic as possible. I'm in the face of history with Kurosawa's final battle. And even mm. the um, Sturgis final battle in uh, mm. that one. And I think he does a great job. I think this yeah. is the most, this is so exciting. This is kind of, I think, maybe what he was planning on, like when he joined on the movie, was this sequence. Yeah. It's thrilling, it's crazy tragic when Peter Sarsgaard team busts out the Gatling gun you know we're in big trouble mm-hmm. Peter Sarsgaard doesn't care he doesn't care who they mow down I like it we still have men down there do it anyway kill them all mm-hmm. and as with all the others the team suffers losses we get Ethan Hawke coming back strong after thinking he's going to be a coward Unfortunately, though, him and Billy and Vincent D'Onofrio don't make it. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm spoiling all whatever, you know. Not, uh, people are like, they know how the Magnificent Seven. But I think <laughs> like the big the big moment, too, is that. Um, and I wish it was more earned because it's so well done is yeah. Chris Pratt's sacrifice because Chris yeah. Pratt, is the, he doesn't make it either. And but it's so well put together. It's such a good idea. It's like this ride as he's getting shot with the going after the Gatling gun because he knows somebody has to, like, it's always a great sequence in a war movie or a Western. Like, you know, in like war movies, they got like the machine gun on the hill. We have to get up the hill. Yeah. We're going to lose a ton of guys to do it. Probably somebody has to make a really noble sacrifice. Yep. Someone has to jump on the grenade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which was so, like my favorite one of all time still is like the most, the saddest one is Woody Harrelson in them. I blew my butt So sad. So good. But anyway, you know, Woody Harrelson would have been awesome as one of these guys. Yes. Oh, man. See, that's the thing is, yeah, like if you put a word, that's the thing is you just, you need like actors with like, like character and texture. That's like what makes this work. And that's why Vincent D'Onofrio works compared to yeah. like, um, and then you need to let them have something to do. Like you need mm-hmm. to like give them like an actual, like 
And it doesn't have to be a lot. You just have to give them like broad strokes. Like this guy's a cad. He's a daredevil, yeah. or he, yeah, or he has yeah, a secret. Yeah, gets just yeah, gets distracted by the ladies. Is he gonna be reliable? Yeah, you know that, that kind. That's of, enough. You know, that's yeah. That's enough. Yeah, yeah. They and I think unfortunately for Chris Pratt, they actually try and put every one of those elements into him. Yeah, like he's, every single he, one of those character traits they try and give him. <laughs> he's like a ladies' man, but he's also a rogue, and he's, he's also, also a bit a dis- drunk. He's a gamp, you know, all of these. Yeah, things. he's a little racist, but he also knows magic. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe it was just too much to ask of Chris Pratt. <laughs> like, he stretched too thin. Yeah, it's a lot he, of it's a lot of hats he, he had gets to wear. In him, if it was just one thing or something, and he gets this amazing heroic. Self-sacrifice, self-sacrificial death scene to stop the Gatling gun. I still liked it. I was still, I still, I still like, I still bought it. I was still into it. But I, it, man, imagine if they had just done a little bit more for it. Mm-hmm. But you know how this goes, folks. This is the Seven Samurai. This is the Magnificent Seven. It comes down to they take him out. The only difference in this one is Denzel thinks he almost almost loses to Peter Sarsgaard but he's saved by Haley Bennett mm-hmm. Denzel and um, Vasquez and Red Harvest are our survivors of the Magnificent Seven as is the usual four die three live this mm-hmm. has been the uh, tradition in this film one thing that they don't do that I love in both Seven Samurai Seven Samurai is deeply moving even Magnificent Seven, the originals, is, as well. And I don't know why they didn't do it. I was disappointed. And then they tack on this terrible CGI ending to try and fix it. Uh. The guys, when they're riding out of town after they have saved the day and they're leaving town to go on their next adventure, our survivors ride past the tombstones. Yeah. Of those who are lost. And they kind of little tip of the cap. And the Magnificent Seven is those flags. Or not magnificent seven samurai. So it's flags they ride pa- that they walk past, mm-hmm. and you're so moved because you're like, oh, look at this adventure and what it took, and all these like rogues, what they sacrificed to save the day. And this one, they like walk away, and then we cut to this like voiceover of Haley Bennett and showing these weird CGI graves. Oh yeah, they of look all like four of them. It looks just awful, and it's like so <laughs> different than the rest of the movie. And then she goes. But they were magnificent. Was, and you're like, yeah. you want to punch the TV. You just want to that punch is, it in the face. Look, uh, uh, like, it's, I, I haven't seen Magnificent Seven, the John Sturgis one in a long time. But that doesn't happen in that one, right? There's no. No, they leave town. Yeah. They just yeah. leave town and they yeah, we, ride past Charles Bronson and James Coburn and those their graves. And that yeah, kind of, it, it's like it's, a, you know, it, it can just be implied that they're magnificent. That's fine. You don't have we to got say it. it. We saw the yeah, movie. We, we, we watched the mag- movie. It was very <laughs> magnificent. You're good. <laughs> they were magnificent. We get it. <laughs> it was, know, it was like, truly just like I had to. I rolled my eyes so hard. It was just no, it's like, like you yeah, watch the end of Michael Clayton and he really was Michael Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, there had always. Truly, he was the client. No, it's like at the end of There Will Be Blood. It's like that butler comes and he turns around and goes, Good, "Looks like there was blood." <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> like, shut up, man! man this cruel, this cruelty, sh- this cruelty Tommy sure Lee- was intolerable. I know Tommy Lee Jones is telling his story at the end of No Country for Old Men. He goes, "What I really learned from all of this 
There really is no country for old men. It's like J.K. Simmons is like, man, we really need to burn after eating. I know that's why burn after eating. So burn after eating setting is the funniest fucking thing because it's like, well, what did we learn? I don't know. Not to do it again. Like, yeah, no, it's like it's so fucking funny. Uh, oh, but it's like, yeah, you're just. It's disappointing, but then what's not disappointing, and which you wish had been in the rest of the movie, is they launch into this awesome <laughs> credit sequence where we show the guys again, set yeah. to the original score. You're like, where was this the entire movie? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think so. The score was done by James Horner. And he, yeah, and he died before wow. um, filming could commence. And he was tapped to write, and he'd already begun working on it, and then it got and his intended to present it as a surprise to Antoine Fuqua, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I wish well, I lived in that rarefied world where I could write a score for somebody's movie as a surprise. Um, yeah. But like he, it, well, it's funny too. Cause like, I didn't realize it was a uh, hoarder until there was like a, a moment in the movie where like, I can't remember what part, but I heard that like doodle doo from like avatar, the avatar. Yeah. Doodle doo. Well, yeah. Jen called it out. She's like, this is the legends of the fall score. Like almost to a T, which he also did. <laughs> oh man, she was like, "That's disappointing." I was like, eh. yeah. "That's kind of some of these like composers who did like six movies a year." Like yep, they gotta, Hans, they gotta like, go back our, to that set. Our, our friend Hans Zimmer. These things yeah. aren't that different. What they're doing, and this isn't. And that gets back though. It's like. What if this score had been just Elmer Burns? He's like rousing, like insane, over the top, like horn set score all the way through. You'd be like, this is a good. Would it have been a better time? Maybe. Well, yeah, I, I think it would have. Like, yeah, honestly, you see, like, like the score at the end with the original score, you're seeing the guys riding and shooting. You're like, <gasps> I would have liked to see that. That would have made Chris Pratt more fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know I would love. I would love to see an enterprising listener. Uh, Upload a, a a recut of yeah. Magn- the Magnuson Seven with the Elmer Bernstein score transposed I, yeah, to it. And I think it's like because movies can't be like just like a bouncy good time, like a like a yarn anymore. They'll mm-hmm. have to say something or mean something or like show like even Michael Bay's movies, which should be funner, like still show like tattered American flags and like the threat of like everything. <laughs> it's like, no, we just want to see the bad boys do bad boys things. Yes. Like, sometimes that's all you need. And I think, yeah, and that's why we're kind of getting out of Fuku wanting to do like um Seven Samurai combined with the American Magnificent Seven. Mm. And it just like at the end of the day, I enjoyed this more mm. than the first time. Oh yeah, I saw this movie. I, but I still think it's like I saw Chapo Traphouse's Will Meneker. Uh, his review of this film on Letterboxd was simply, it's a real bummer when you're reminded of not one, but two better movies when you watch a movie. (laughs) 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 You know, at the end of the day, unfortunately, that's kind of what you're thinking. Now, Denzel Washington is Denzel Washington, and he makes you be able to, like, you can, like, you can roll yeah. with pretty much anything he presents. Oh, for sure. <laughs> he's, he's that great. This wasn't bad, but it not hugely necessary would be my final argument on it. Although it does show Antoine Fuqua's immense directorial skill set, too. 
on a technical side of things. For sure. Um, had his world premiere at the 2016 Toronto International Film Festival. Served as a closing night film at the Venice Film Festival. Classy. Very classy. Very classy. Um, released September 26th, 23rd of 2016. Wow. Nary a, uh, <laughs> a few days before Donald Trump was elected president. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It grossed 93 Point four million in the United States, sixty-eight point nine million in other countries for a worldwide total of one hundred and sixty-two point four million dollars. Honestly, that's not bad. Like, that's... not bad. This movie is not cheap, though. Oh no! Um, oh, this no. movie costs around a hundred million dollars to make. Okay, um, yeah, that, that's yeah. When you stack it up, I, I, bet, I bet a lot of that went to Denzel and Pratt. Oh, I have a feeling. I guess my guess is Denzel Washington got twenty mil personally out of that. Oh man. Um. But well worth it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you got to pay for that. Like he, it's yeah, like, you you know, it's like you're paying I, for the talent, baby. You're paying for that. Yeah, like, he's yeah, he brings it. And you know, westerns are again kind of what we're getting at in our history of the western. Brief, very, very, very brief history of the western. Earlier was westerns are a tough sell. These days, mm-hmm. they just you know they just yeah. are you know young. They just they're not really. Do not put younger asses in the seats. No, like I, I, yeah, I just. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say yeah, just like yeah, I just they don't, like I just like people aren't interested in like even like historical fiction and yeah, like it's just like it's like modern stuff is any is the only thing anyone's interested in nowadays. It feels like, which is a bummer. It is, yeah. Despite the fact that every filmmaker worth their salt seems to be utterly obsessed and only wanting to do um period pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> period pieces I keep failing at the box office. Yeah, because cell phones suck. They're not cinematic. Yeah. Mm. Magnificent seven has a sixty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The Magnificent Seven has a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critical consensus reads, The Magnificent Seven never really lives up to the superlative in its title or the classics from which it draws its inspiration, but remains a moderately diverting action thriller on its own merits. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's the all right seven. It's the the seven that get the job done. (laughs) I, I watch it on an airplane and then kind of enjoy it seven. Yeah, <laughs> like, the, the 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 seven that are fine, I guess. Yeah. So, um, Richard Roper gave it three stars, though. Oh, Overall, really? this is a rousing, albeit sometimes cheesy, action-packed western bolstered by Denzel's bat Denzel Washington's baddest of the badasses lead performance, mostly fine supporting work, and yep, some of the most impressively choreographed extended shootout sequences in recent memory. Fairly right on there, Denzel. Mm-hmm. Or Denzel, Richard. <laughs> um, <laughs> Peter Travers. Three stars. The new Ooh. seven isn't aiming for cinematic cinema immortality. It's two hours of hardcore shoot 'em up pow. And it's entertaining as hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, Amy Nicholson wrote, Fuqua's made two clean piles se- separating good and evil 
and in doing so, he's thrown away the film's the film's point. Now we can trade our conscience for a bucket of popcorn. Today's The Magnificent Seven is just another superhero flick that spends half its running time assembling a band of bulletproof daredevils, which makes sense. The original inspired The Avengers, which published its first comic three years after it was a hit. Mm. Um, yeah, I think in general, this is good enough. Yeah, it's like, it, it's not like, yeah, I'm not uh, mad at it, but it's definitely not like, there's a bunch of movies I would watch before this one. It's just like, yeah, it's just. Including The Seven Samurai and the original. Yeah. Seven. And probably that Roger Corbin one you described. I kind of want to see what that one's fun. about. Yeah, <laughs> Robert Vaughn and George Papard are in that. That's, yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> what's happening Also, there? interesting thing about that, um, that was the first film James Cameron ever worked on was Battle Ooh. Beyond the Stars. Really interesting. Also, it's the film that they're making fun of in Modern Romance that Albert Brooks is editing with George Kennedy. Oh my god. So, <laughs> there we go. Anyway, That's interesting. And of course, as of April of 2023, Amazon announced plans to expand the franchise with a television series adaptation on Amazon Prime. So The Magnificent Seven will... Ride again. again. That's what we know. (laughs) In some way, shape, or form. I have a pitch for a new version of it, but I will tell you off the air because I don't want to waste it on you, audience. Magnificent Seven will ride again. Mm -hmm. As well, here's a transition Robert McCall. Who we last met in the Equalizer? Yeah, he rides again. Only Nary, two years after the Magnificent Seven comes the Equalizer Two. Mm. As we mentioned before, it's currently on Hulu. Also promoted as EQ Two. I'm sure that okay. makes sense to anyone. Okay. Um, <laughs> Equalizer Two. We know the story. Robert McCall, ex Special Forces dude. Yeah, now friendly reader- neighborhood. Friendly neighborhood guy, reader of books in late night diners, also has like spider vision on how to like stab someone in the the head with like some object. Whatever yeah. objects in the room, you're getting stabbed in the eye with. Yeah, it's like that Sherlock Holmes uh, like 3D. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I can, if I hit this, it'll yes. hit that guy right in the dick. Yeah, like. <laughs> so from when we last met Robert McCall, he's mm-hmm. driving Uber now. Yeah. He's he's <laughs> he's. Left, he's He's driving Lyft. Like, much like you. Like yeah. you, Patrick. Yeah. yeah, we're both in the same uh, station in our lives, me, Robert, yep. and I. <laughs> same guy. I do so that all the time. Guys. Very similar Yeah, guys. I'm, I'm constantly trying to help people find, like, you know, lost family members, and I'm going into, like, bars with seedy mm-hmm. folks and, like, you know, telling local toughs to, like, hey, maybe you should start an acapella group. I know that's your passion, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're. Yeah, and you stay off the streets, or I'm gonna shoot you and everybody you know. Yeah, um, I'm gonna murder you if you don't learn acapella. But where we meet him, meet him on a yeah. train. Oh in yeah, Turkey in this new, cold open. New trait, master of yeah, new trait, master, master of disguise. Yeah, and we're like these these baddies are on there, and we're like, uh oh, he's here. It's a cold oh, yeah. open. He's doing a rescue. It's good. He guess what he's doing on the side? He's doing cool rescue operations on yeah. the side. And the book he's reading, that Ten- Tennessee Coates memoir. 
I know. Yeah. I know. Very, very, very 2018. Yeah, <laughs> like, incredibly. It is. That is such a capsule. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yes, that was the book everyone read at yeah. around this when when the, <laughs> exactly. when the when this movie was filmed in September of 2017. <laughs> like, yeah, there were probably hundreds of thousands of uh, dads that awkwardly got that as a Christmas gift from their millennial oh, and Gen Z sons. I read it. Yeah, it's a good it book. Good. It's very good. Yeah. Yes, I like this. He's a great. He's a great writer. Like yeah, the yeah. Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> he kicks all these guys' ass on a train. It's great, and yeah, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I was like, I'm ready. Oh yeah, the, the equalizer is here. Yep, the jacuzzi <laughs> like, feels good. <laughs> like, and then yes, as Patrick mentioned, he he's this train trip in Turkey. Was about saving a nine-year-old daughter from the bookstore owner, from the bookstore owner he cares about. He's Crazy. making friends with this kid who's trying to keep off the streets by showing them how to make murals. He has met an elderly Holocaust survivor who he needs to recover a painting for. Just usual stuff in he the life just... of Robert McCall. <laughs> he is just like the world's coolest and most justified man he is the world's most just like any violence he does as is for like... as violent as this movie is i feel at home i'm like it feels uh, like a soft pillow i'm like this thank, is like thank you robert thank you robert so he also he's driving people on lyft and if he sees if he's picking someone up on a lift ride that he feels has had a problem or has been abused or something, he inserts himself into that situation too. This, this should Namely, be a TV show. This poor young woman gets put in the back of his car. She's clearly Yeah, not well. Been abused and been assaulted, and it's yeah, terrible. And rough. obviously raises red flags for any morally yeah. sound person and Robert. Robert's Paul. like, no, no, no. And instead of just taking her to the hospital and making sure she's okay. He decides to go up and pay a visit to the guys who ordered the Uber. Turns out they're a bunch of stock market bros or whatever. And yeah, let's just say he makes them pay. Yeah. <laughs> he like, yeah, he, he, he destroys them. He, he destroys like... them. That's a good way of putting it. He utterly yeah. annihilates these guys, but you like it because they deserve it. Yeah, it's good. It's the, all good. All yeah, the violence all, is good. All the violence is worth it. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, Mm. There's been this insane murder suicide in Brussels. Oh, yeah. It utterly like Fuqua really letting his violent flag fly on this. Yeah. Like, it's, it's nasty. It's now yeah, it's very nasty. It's nasty. It's being investigated by you guessed it, Melissa Leo. Like, yeah. <laughs> while while she was missing from the Magnificent Seven. She's back in full force in Equalizer 2. Oh, yeah. Her and her husband, played by the great Bill Pullman. I'd love to see a side story about their younger days. Yes, Bill Pullman and Denzel, the early years. Or Melissa Leo and and Bill Pullman, the early years. And she has a besuited partner in this investigation in Brussels Mm. by the name of Dave. (laughs) Dave York, played by... Not, not not as much recognizable in 2018 un, unavoidably unescapably recognizable in 2020 24 Pedro Pascal oh, yeah. um, even more so than David Harbour in the first one we've got yeah. a very 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 famous person now uh, it, it is a yeah a besuited uh, CIA spook yeah 
just like you know, kind of like a generic. Seems kind of like normal at first, but you know something's under the under yeah. the surface. And as with the the equalizer one, what's beautiful is the leisurely play pace for which we decide on what the actual plot of this movie is. Like, <laughs> it's a lot of him equalizing or equal being helping out in his community. Those are the two things he does. He equalizes <laughs> and he helps out in his community. Yeah, there's. I love the when it comes to equalizer movies. There's always like this, like freeform jazzy quality to the first hour, no. where it's like, you know, what's he gonna do now? Is he gonna help a guy, you know, solve a local problem? Is there like a, a or, is florist? Gonna, or is he gonna coach a high school girl's softball team? <laughs> yeah. Like these are all possibilities. Is or he gonna... is he gonna like tear out somebody's larynx with his bare hands? <laughs> Yeah. Who like shoplifted at the 7-Eleven for some kid that he likes. <laughs> How dare you shoplift? Terrific. It's it rolls. It's good. <clears throat> but the ball gets rolling when we're at the hotel in Brussels. And the Fuqua does a really great sequence here. Like of misdirections and who's up to what. Mm-hmm. With Miss Melissa Leo, Pedro Pascal, and a bunch of weirdos. Like toughs oh, yeah. All, yeah. all over the place. Which turns out, though, they are there to attack Melissa Leo. Mm -hmm. She puts up a valiant fight, but... And you can kind of feel it, this being a part two. Mm -hmm. Her odds were not great. She's killed, and that's where we get going on our story. Now, because McCall is like, I need to find out what happened to my friend. I need to investigate this. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile... It seems like basically Robert's past is starting to haunt him in a way as a secret agent man. <laughs> secret agent. <laughs> and we discover that they're going to kill Bill Pullman. Robert's, Robert helps him. Like it's It gets crazier and crazier. And what's basically – I'm going to cut to the chase here. Spoiler city, folks. Oh, yeah. Guess who the baddie is? You could have guessed. It's Pedro Pascal. <laughs> like, yes, one hundred percent. He's evil. He's evil. Who did you compare his turn? Who are we comparing him to in his like oh. insane, like Captain Insano turn? Um, um, we've seen it before in other films. We think that they're like, oh, it was Dylan McDermott. Oh in yeah, Olympus yeah, has yeah. fallen. fallen. Yes, yep. they, yeah, they're definitely in, in the same. Like you know crime circles or whatever those two characters yeah his leap from being like regular government guy cia spook to being full-scale traitorous crazy town yeah just is... like I'm... boom like snap of the f- i'm snapping my fingers right now it is oh it rolls yeah nuts it's just crazy I, I... and i think pedro probably was like this is a big like i get to be like an antagonist in washington and yeah. I think this is the right call. Peter Sarsgaard does the same thing in um, Magnificent Seven. Go big or go home. Turn it on. Turn it yeah. on. Go crazy. Go wacky. Go Let's get wacky. wacky with it. <laughs> and of course, much like in the original Equalizer, Robert's community deeds, <laughs> secret agent game stuff, come yeah. to collide when the young man he's been mentoring gets kidnapped by Pedro Pascal's team and taken. <clears throat> this is wild. A stormy seaside love... community that is Robert's hometown that he lived with his late wife, that where she owned a bakery. Wow. Wow. 
I love, yeah, I love the fight. Having a fight in like a weird, like, like almost like a hurricane is on the verge of yes, occurring. A That's hurricane a- ravaged Martha's Vineyard. Um, yes. It's a Let's fun, it. it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a fun- great set piece. It's yeah. A- we should also note that the kid that Robert has been mentoring to be a muralist might also be thinking about becoming a gang member. And mm, Robert, has for long, to, Robert has to go to the tower from fucking Brooklyn's finest. And like, yeah, pulls a Richard Gear, pulls a Richard Gear, but much cooler. Yeah, much cooler. Much less, yeah, much, much, much less, less depressing. Yeah, much, much less, less suicidal and much more like I'm just gonna like take yeah, care of this. I, this is yeah, I'm fine. It's good. I'm fine. And he this insane speech where he gets the kid in the hall. He's like, shoot me, shoot. You. Like, oh, it's just nuts the entire and i know there's a message behind it that you should be an artist not yeah. be a gang member which is valid yeah that's, and, yeah, that's a good thing i guess yeah they play it to like to like melodramatic like yeah we're we're to, we're veering towards you know kind of bill cosby pull your pants up-esque stuff a yes bit. yeah we're getting Thank into you. that zone yeah, for sure it's, for sure. it's, it's like you but, know yeah the, <laughs> the sense that robert might be a rap is crap type of guy is in the trunk of the car. Pedro Pascal and his team are looking for Denzel Washington all over the seaside town. But much like Denzel Washington at a Home Depot at the end of The Equalizer, he knows this <laughs> town and he knows yep. how to home alone the shit out of it. He is, ho- he is yeah. home alone. He's a home alone guy. He's so yeah. home alone. He's doing the home alone thing. Except so gruesome. Dudes are getting, like, taking shit to the dome nonstop. It is kind of like, yeah, this is what happens when you take Home Alone to its final. And there was a part of me that was wondering, like, I hate it in movies. So it's basically presented that these, Pedro Pascal and these guys were Robert's crew when they did jobs all over the world. Mm. I don't believe for a second they would turn on him and want to kill him this badly. Yeah. Not for one second or that he would turn on them frankly like this is a band of brothers have you ever seen band of brothers there's a reason it's called that when it comes to these troop guys we've saw 13 the secret soldiers of Benghazi. you see would you think that krasinski would get attacked by the surviving dudes from the secret soldier no no No, they went through shit together yeah because it's like yeah all the yeah all the animosity is like like or like all the relationship stuff, the opposite of the animosity. All the relationship stuff is stated, but it's never implied. Like there's yeah. never a sense of like, oh, these guys had a long history together. But it's like they did. We know they yeah. did, and they have yeah. thus. It just, they, but yeah, you just... now that I say that, now that I say that out loud, I actually have a serious problem with this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it I think it rests on a fallacy. Like these yeah, fuckers, like you can't because you can't just like say something and then like. It doesn't, yeah, and it's not going to have the weight. It doesn't have weight. Nothing, that relationship has no weight. They These guys were bros for a really long time. They went through the shit together. They're not, this is like yeah. Cole Hauser turning on Bruce Willis from Tears of the Sun. No. Never. Yes. Yeah, Never. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. Never. But they do. Yeah. And that's still watching them without much thought. Oh, super really, murders them. really takes it to these fucking guys. We're going yeah, they, it would suck to be them. They are. <laughs> yeah, he's right. Really... Like one guy. Oh my god, that one guy who like, like his, they like his like chest or his stomach is like blown out, and he's just kind of like, oh, help me. Like I know, 
Oh, and they, yeah, they're it, but it looks great. It's a oh, really it great, like, set piece. As usual, like, Antoine Fuqua doesn't amaze, like, even in Tears of the Sun, like, we didn't like that movie, but, like, that final, like, war sequence is incredible. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's put the together. nuts and bolts are there, for yeah, sure. Yeah, like, and you just kind of wish, like, but again, it's like if you take Equalizer Two as like just a pure action exploitation movie, Charles like late career Charles Bronson esque movie, then don't think about it too hard. Yeah, it's a fun time. It's it just a I, good I, time. Yeah, and I can't wait for Equalizer Three. But oh, it's man. one of these things where you're like, if you think too hard on, you're like, this sucks. <laughs> I don't buy it. Yeah, all. but like, but yeah, it, it's still one of my favorite Antoine Fuqua movies. Yeah, because it's just really fun. It's fun to watch. It's breezy. You can yeah. kind of like play it. You know, it's like a it's a fun movie to have in the background while you're doing work. I like the yeah, the the insane moment where like uh, Denzel like throws fucking like, you know, after he like slits the back of like, what was it like? He slit like the back of his throat. Like what oh, was yeah. happening there? Or, like this, like the spine or something. Yeah. And he like then he. Th- and he throws him off the like cliff. He oh, hits yeah. a rock, and then he, the uh, water washes him away. The trademark John Malkovich die three times. That's what happens to Pedro Pascal in this movie. Yeah, he gets. Yeah. But it's yeah, like it's... another thing. Like I guess it's the issue. And it's same with like Bronson, or same with any of these action guys. Liam Neeson. There's no way Denzel Washington's losing. No. That final fight. Like at all, no. <laughs> Especially Pedro Pascal at this point, Pedro Pascal's career. Like, yeah, right. No yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, dramatic tensions. I think that's why dramatic tension was so high with Melissa Leo because it's like Melissa Leo could die mm-hmm. in that sequence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she does. Or Bill Pullman could die, but Denzel Washington's fine. Yeah, and he's back at it, painting murals. Teaching yep. the community a few things, getting ready to equalize once again at the end of the movie. Reed and Proust. Reed and Proust. <laughs> and he's at peace. Yeah. He moved back in his old house and he's at peace mm. with him Live. losing his wife. It's dumb, but it's extremely fun. <laughs> I just <laughs> can't a... wait. They should. It should just. They should just genuinely like. Every two years, like have to go to a different country. Movies. Yeah, like I want, I want to see the equal. I want to see the Equalizer in Japan. I want to see the Equalizer like in Kenya. Yeah. Like I want to. Let's change it up a bit. I want to see some crazy. Because like you know, Equalizer three is basically Equalizer goes to Italy, mm-hmm. and like yeah, it's a it's a fun time. It's a pleasant romp. And did you know that this is Denzel Washington's first sequel? Really? To, like it was the first character that he felt could be like expanded upon. His entire career, and oh. of course he's in Gladiator Two momentarily here, which would be a fancy one. But um, yeah, you know, we'll we'll cover that. Obviously, we'll be covering that soon enough. <laughs> the um, budget sixty seventy million dollar range. Mm. That's still tidy for how yeah. big of a deal this movie is. Movie grossed one hundred two million in the U.S. and eighty eight in other territories for a grand total of one hundred ninety. Another smash. Like, nice. Because and then on a much better simple. budget, too. Yeah. It's simple. I'm not asking for much. Want to see him kick ass? Dead he's got rock. a big, na- big name star, and he's doing cool dad crimes. It's wonderful. Absolutely. And this has a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, critical mm-hmm. consensus series. 
The Equalizer 2 delivers the visceral charge of a standard vigilante thriller, but this reunion of trusted talents ultimately proves a disappointing case study in diminishing returns. Hmm. Mm. Uh, yeah. I disagree. Yeah. What it's... do you act like? What are the expectations here? Yeah. You expecting Citizen Kane? Like, no. This is this I... isn't a flamingon, folks. It's a fucking burger. Yeah, it's like with ketchup. People wonder why burger. every January people go see a Gerard Butler or a James Jason Statham movie, whoever's mm-hmm. putting out one, because oh, you know yeah. what you get. It's a good yeah. time. There's a reason why uh, America has beekeeper fever. Um, David Ehrlich of the Indie Wire gave it a C minus. Uh, come on, David. The good news is that fans of Antoine Fuqua's The Equalizer, a bland and pulpy 2014 riff on 80s TV series, the same name, are in for more of the same. The bad news is the rest of us are too. <laughs> Have some fun, Dave. Yeah. Have some fun. It's not all May December. Yeah. <laughs> Even though May December is quite fun. Yeah, um, it's not. It's not all Carol. Yeah, I know. Come on. It doesn't have to be. Not everything has to be thought out. Yeah. This is a blast. It's a really good time. Yeah. It's dumb. Pedro's heel turn. Silly. Makes very little sense, but it, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Here, dude, yeah. just like drink three beers and watch this. Yeah. Have to have your buds over. Yes. Order some pizzas. Have some have some brew dogs. Yes. And you're in a great spot. This is a movie night ass movie. Oh yeah. It's too long though. Antoine Fuqua still struggles with uh, yeah. Same thing with Magnificent Seven. Movie. Like a little both these movies, a little long in tooth. He needs to get uh, get it out if he can get it under Here's your next goal for Equalizer, Antoine. If you're, li- I hope you're not listening. <laughs> you don't need to listen to this. <laughs> you don't need We're, to listen to this. I think we've been fair. I think yeah. we've been hard. I think we've been fair. We like these movies. Nice. And just to be clear, Team Antoine, I want to keep yeah, him yeah. to keep making movies. He's a he's, banger. He is in production on what would certainly be his most talked about movie he's ever made. Oh God! Yeah, Which, I cannot wait. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. It's gonna be crazy i can't oh what what, a, what what is this michael jackson movie gonna be who knows who cares who, who, I'm like yeah let's just bring it on like yeah no. this is like what tornado has he going to unleash yeah i'm good for him heading toward his 60th birthday to make his perhaps most controversial movie good oh man yeah. we're fans um yep but david ehrlich if you're listening to the show and, <laughs> and you want to give us the take from the rest of us, yeah, <laughs> contact us, the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on uh, X, Twitter X, mm. whatever you want to call it, the Academy Heard on the X. Um, what I love about the Equalizer series, real quick, is people are finding it. It's got, it's become like it feels like one of these action movies from the late 80s early mm-hmm. 90s that kind of got swept under the rug a little bit but now people are like you know it's really good yeah the equalizer movies talk you know our old friend jesse from our discoveries episodes he he was texting me he's like i love them i love all three of them like and that guy's hard on everything he wants everything yeah. to be trashy and grimy and you know you've listened to the episode these are real throwbacks I hope they make a million of them. I can't wait to cover Equalizer 3. I haven't seen it yet. I'm saving it. Saving oh, yeah. it for when we cover it in a few weeks here. I'm excited. We're, I cannot wait to see your take. We're close to the end here. I know. Okay, we're almost there. We're almost there. Next week on the show, we're watching David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I'm excited Ooh. 
to take a look at this. One of the best. This is, this is a great, great film. I do have a take though mm. that I think. Um, boy, do I? Are you one of the people that think the? I uh... think that after the killer is revealed, and mm. that sequence, the Enya sequence goes through. Oh yeah. Then there's another half hour of the movie. I'm mm. not. I think that that is the emotional climax of the movie, and yeah. I, that's an issue I have. Yeah, I, I like like the end where like Rooney Mara thinks it's all gonna work out. And then... Oh no, I like that. But her entire like financial scheme and everything like that, and like disguises oh, yeah, and yeah. train rides and stuff like that, it's like go, it gets a little long winded for me. And I think yeah. that that's fair. The sequence where she kind of has to like drive through town and rescue him. Is so exciting and thrilling, and you're kind yeah. of like that. That is the emotional climax. I it think. is such a big moment. Are you? Did you, yeah. have, did you ever watch the uh, original uh, trilogy directed by the one that starred Numi Rapace? I have never seen any of those, nor read the book. I've never read the book either. I'm tempted. I might watch the. Basically, the second they announced Fincher was doing it, I was like, I don't care. I want to see the Fincher one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's like. like the... He's straight up the perfect. Uh, I feel like there's something Scandinavian about French, like the, that that yeah, coldness, that chilliness. Yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. Uh, that, that waspy chill. Um, yeah. So we'll be covering that next week. I believe that is currently on. If I'm not mistaken, Paramount Plus. Paramount mm-hmm. Plus is where you can find that. Um, yes, excellent, excellent Blu-ray too. If you want to go down that road, I couldn't recommend it more. Ooh. The week after that, we're going to be taking a very interesting road here. Mm. We're going to take a look at kind of the pandemic era Antoine Fuqua films that both oh, dropped no. during this cycle. Oh, They're both yeah. like, are these real? It would be the first question you would have when I bring were up they, what these are these were. these Is this algorithms? Am them? I making this up? <laughs> and of course, we're talking about 2021's Infinite oh, starring man. Mark Wahlberg. And I believe it's 2022's The Guilty. Sorry. <laughs> if, I, if I see the sea, I must swim in the sea. Jake Gyllenhaal. Ooh. Um, Ooh. <laughs> these are... We watched the trailers the other night to try and get started on them. Mm. Jen's reaction was like, ah, oh, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> and with the trailer, Guilty. Ah, oh, Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah! Uh, I've seen uh, the guilty. I've not seen the infinite. Um, they are both under two hours. That's good. So I like there's, that. There's that. Um, infinite Mar- can infinite. be rented uh, through all the services. It's unfortunately not playing on any. It's like oh for us to get bummer. Uh, uh, we have to shell out three bucks to Father Stew. Yeah, um, infinite looks like a lost Michael Bay movie based on the trailer. Really I think it's does. like a it's like a sci fi movie, right? It is. This guy he's giving me like distinct island Ugh. vibes. Is, is, is Mark yeah. Wahlberg like a super genius in it? Please tell no, me he's, he's like a... he's like a guy who gets lives multiple. I don't know. It's... Oh, okay, that's not as bad. Oh, it's kind of like you, a... you try to tell me I'm a clone. Um, it's like it's it's like uh it's like a dog's purpose, but with a guy from Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and the guilty is on Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. It feels very pandemic. It's like all one room, and it's Jake oh, emoting cool. his Jake emoting his ass off. Yeah, emoting to no one in the room. Yeah, a lot, a lot of scenes where it looks like two people are in the room, but no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So, and a lot of phone calls. He's taking a lot of phone calls and furrowing his brow. Um. So yeah, we're gonna be watching those in two weeks. 
if this is the first you've ever heard of them, <laughs> give you tips on if they're any good. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I think it's like it's kind of a waiting game for Emancipation and the Equalizer Three for <laughs> Antoine Fuqua <laughs> fans out there, um, because these two are very forgotten movies, considering oh. they're they're very recent movies. For sure, for sure. So, on that note, cue the uh, Magnificent Seven theme from the Elmer Bernstein score. We, oh, most we definitely. Ride, we ride the next town for our next adventure. We'll see you <laughs> next week on the Academy Academy. Oh, man. You know what would have been uh, great if uh, there was uh, an Eminem Magnificent Seven song? And he, like, I'm, kind of, I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised there. Since yeah. They should yeah. be, should have been like it could have been like Wildcats where they just do a roll call of everyone. Yeah, no. <laughs> My name's Goodnight Robichaux, and I'm here to say <laughs> Super, Bowl, Super Bowl Shuffle. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm Billy Rocks. I like throwing knives. I don't like your mean jives. There's not much more to my character than that. 